If you would turn in your Bibles to Job 22, found on page 509. Job 22, we're just going to be reading a couple verses, starting at verse 24. Job 22, starting at verse 24. If you lay gold in the dust and gold of Orpher among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. What's the difference or or relationship between our, our duty to the Lord and our delight in Him? While duty is important, yet if there's no delight and it's just duty, it can easily become legalism. This morning, I want to focus on our our text in in Job, as well as a a couple of other passages, and talk about the relationship between duty and delight. I think for those of you who grew up in the CRC, we talked a lot about delighting ourselves in the Lord. Yet I think in practice, it often sounded more like duty. We were good at focusing on that. While the catechism talks about delight and gratitude, and and rightly so, yet that's not what we always experienced in the church growing up. I think the unspoken message was the, the way you achieve this joy and delight was through obedience was through knowledge, trying harder, doing more, duty. But I believe it's this very thinking that I think can easily hinder our our faith and it can even hinder our, our worship. What is the relationship between our duty to the Lord and our delight in God? Verses I read a few moments ago are the words of one of Job's friends. Elepez, spoken to uh, uh, Job after they had been silent for really some time. Think of all that Job went through, all that he lost, his livestock, his children, his home. His wife had turned against God, and then at the end he was covered in boils. And his friends, his supposed three friends, while they they were silent for seven days, they were there for Job, because he was miserable. And and to have somebody present with you, I mean, that means a lot. Yet what his one friend, Elepez, what he said at the end, you kind of, you scratch your head. Because what he said was so good and so true, and yet how he implied it was really so wrong. Listen to what he said again. If you lay gold in the dust, in other words, if you lay your treasure in the dust, the Almighty will be your gold or your treasure. Then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. When Job's trial was over, we read that the Lord said to Elepaz, the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. 
For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. You hear those words, though, that he spoke, and you think, wow, nothing could be truer. Those are beautiful words. But if you lay your gold in the dust, the Almighty will be your gold, and you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. We hear that throughout Scripture. See, while this friend of Job, while he said some things that were wrong, yet here we, he says something right and something true. Compared to God and his infinite value and preciousness, all the gold of the world is like dust. But in God himself, you find delight, you find enjoyment, you find more pleasure than anything in this world can give us. Do you believe that? In God, you have more delight, more joy, more pleasure than anything in this world, than anything in this world can bring us. Why then was God angry with Job's friend and the words he spoke? I think he was angry because he used them as an indictment against Job. Elapez and his friends could not comprehend that Job really could be a righteous man and yet be suffering. In their minds, the two things didn't go together. They thought, for sure, Job must have done something wrong. He must be, be going after God's treasure more than he's going after, he's going after uh, God himself. But they were dead wrong. And God was angry with them because they took truth and they turned it into a cruel indictment against a good man. So even though Elapez made God angry, yet he proclaims a truth that I think is worth looking at. And we don't often do this. I know I've never preached on this before. Because normally you, you see his friends and you don't want anything to do with them. But yet we have to acknowledge that there were little nuggets of truth, even in the, some of the twisted things that, that they said. So what is it like to delight in God? What is the actual experience of, of enjoying God, finding pleasure in Him, making Him your delight? Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is God your treasure? Is He your pearl of great price? Is He the desire of your heart? See, in the end, it's not the gifts that God gives us that fills us with joy. That's what the world thinks. It's stuff. It's things. That's not what makes us joyful. What makes us joyful is a relationship with Jesus. Those other things are icing on the cake. They're gifts that he gives us to enjoy, but we, we, we can't mix up the difference between the giver of the gifts and the gifts themselves. But Satan, he's, he's at work here. And so he appears before God in heaven. Did Job love God only for his gifts? Or did Job love God because of all the things that Job could get from him? And so listen to uh, Satan's accusation against Job. Job 1, verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, 
and he will curse you to your face. In other words, Job only likes you because of what you give him. Otherwise, he really doesn't want a whole lot to do with you. But he was wrong about Job. Even when the, his children were dead, even when all his life, livestock were gone, listen to what Job said. Job 1.20 Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But is Satan done yet? No. He's still accusing Job before the throne of God. And so he doesn't give up his argument. He says, no, God, Job only loves you because you've given him good health. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. That's found in Job 2.4. But Satan was wrong again. But do you see what he's doing here? Do you see what Satan is trying to, to do with Job? Satan is questioning if God is really Job's gold. Or if Job wants the treasure that God can give him. What does Job really treasure? Is it God himself or is it the things that God gives? I think this is a question that we can ask ourselves as well. Because that can easily get confusing. Clearly Job, though, could say with the psalmist in Psalm 63, verse 3, Your steadfast love is better than life. Job could also say with the prophet Habakkuk, though the fig trees should not blossom, though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is why Jesus, this is why he died. Because in ourselves, we are sinners and we have no hope of everlasting life. We, we have no way of fixing the, the, we have no way of fixing the, the fix that we're in. We deserve eternal damnation. We, ter- we deserve eternal death, but Jesus didn't treat us as our sins deserve, but showed us grace. I mean, think about it. We can't even stand before God on our own. Otherwise, we'll be incinerated by His holiness. The only way we can stand before God is if we stand in Christ Jesus. He has to be our mediator. We have to be covered in His righteousness. Therefore, the Apostle Peter says, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God, and that's what he did through the cross. We now may approach the throne of God boldly, humbly, but the way has been opened. Not on our own, not on our own merit, but it's only through Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 5.11, We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That gulf that once divided us from him, it's been spanned through the cross.
And so God needs to be our greatest delight. This is our Christian duty. You hear what I just said, though? God needs to be our greatest delight. It's our Christian duty. This isn't an option for believers. This is what he calls each of us to, to delight ourselves in him, to make him our, 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 our joy, our all. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's something John Piper is known for saying. God is, mo- is most glorified through you and through me when we are most satisfied in him. But when we aren't satisfied in him, when he's really not our joy, when we can kind of take it or leave him, it's not glorifying to him. He wants to be the desire of our hearts. Listen as one author illustrates the difference between delight and duty. He used the the, the Greek myth, um, Odysseus, and the island of the Cyrenes. These mermaids would lure unsuspecting sailors close to the shore with these mesmerizing melodies and songs. And because the the songs were so irresistible, the, the sailors, they would sail too close to the shore and the boat would break up on the rocks and then apparently the mermaids would munch on the sailors. Well, Odysseus, he wanted to hear that song, but he knew it would be dangerous. And so he had all his men put wax in their ears, and then they had them tie him to the mainsail. And they tied him tight with rope so that he couldn't be loosened. And as they went by the island, Odysseus was totally seduced by the songs he heard, and their beauty was mesmerizing. But because of the ropes, it kept him from giving in to his desire. Although his body was restrained, his heart was captivated by the song. Inwardly, he said, yes, though outwardly the ropes prevented him from giving in to his desire. The author says that this is the way many Christians live their lives. They struggle through life saying no to sin. But because their hearts really aren't in it, because their hands have been shackled, by the law and by rules and by tradition and by the religious community and by a church. They don't give in to that sin, but their heart still desires it. And then they wonder why their, their love for God can be so mediocre, so half-hearted. It's because God really isn't our one true joy. It's because we haven't really found our delight in him. We're still looking to the world around us. We're, we're listening and listening, hearing the, the songs that the world is singing and we're mesmerized by them. We're drawn to them. But that can't give us what we desire. Better approach, says the author, is to delight in the Lord. He says our Christian lives should be more like the mythological story of Jason. Jason also called, also sailed by the island of the Cyrenes, and he didn't put wax in his men's ears. He also didn't ask that they be tied, that he be tied to the mainsail. He just invited the most talented musician in the land to play the most beautiful song on his flute. And despite the Cyrenes singing their, their seductive song, Apparently the men didn't pay any attention to it because they were captivated by 
this person who was playing the flute right before them. And it was beautiful to listen to. And the point of these stories is this. If we're going to resist the the siren song of our world, if we're going to say no to sin, if we're going to say no to an addiction that is constantly knocking on our doors, it's not going to be through being made to feel guilty or making more rules. The allure of sin will only be overcome when your heart, soul, mind, and body is captivated by something bigger, something better like the majesty, mercy, splendor, beauty, magnificence of God as seen in Christ Jesus. When a person is enthralled by God's beauty and mesmerized by visions of his greatness, then they are not easily seduced by sin or enslaved by unrighteousness. Instead, it's just the opposite. They're ready to let go of those things, the things of this world, the things that call out to us, but we know that they'll never satisfy us. We're we're willing to give that up because we know we have something better that can only be found in Jesus. A joy and a beauty that surpasses anything that can be found here on earth. If you lay gold in the dust, the Almighty will be your gold. And you will delight yourself in the Almighty and and lift your face to God. Or let me put it another way. Let's say I was at a pastor's conference. Long week away. Missed my family. Got home, and there's Noah. He runs to me and he says, I love you, Dad. I missed you so much. And he spends the, the, the rest of the night just sitting at my feet, playing toys, gazing into my face, just wants to be next to me. Yeah, that sound great. Yes. (laughs) But what if at the end of the night, as I'm putting him to bed, what if I asked him, but Noah, why did you want to spend all that time with me tonight? What if he said to me, well, Mom told me I had to. (laughs) What if Noah says, but Mom told me that because I carry your name and I'm a Catholic, that I need to show you the respect that you're due. Plus, Mom promised she'd buy me a new bike if I did this. Now, would I feel delighted in? Not a whole lot. I, I, I'd probably feel a little upset. He was doing it out of duty. He was doing it because he was going to get something, a, a, a gift, not because he really wanted to be in my presence. Or what if it was Valentine's Day, and I gave my wife a beautiful bouquet of red roses, and she ran to me with tears in her eyes, Sounds just like you, right? Tears in her eyes and says, oh, John, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And what, I, what if I said, you know, it's nothing. It's my duty as your husband. How do you think that would go over? Does she feel delighted in? No. I'm doing it out of duty. What do you think God thinks when you come here on Sunday morning and if you're Coming here out of duty, not because you delight in the Lord. Do you think that's pleasing to God? We need to delight ourselves in the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we need to come to church even when we don't feel like it. Because when we are in his presence, something happens. We start to sing and we start to focus our eyes on the Lord. You remember that the things of this world, they're really not that important. True joy. 
can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. And so we're reminded of that each week. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I I love that one. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I love that word, enjoy. Because there needs to be joy in our Christian lives. I think by changing one word in that statement makes it even clearer. The chief end of, of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. When we enjoy and delight in God, when we realize that there's no greater treasure in all the world than, than God, this pleases God. It brings Him glory. God created each of, each of us with the desire to be happy and satisfied. That's not a bad thing. You were created with that desire to, to be happy inside, to desire joy. But that joy can't be found in the world can only be found in Jesus. There's nothing greater than God. That means we need to stop listening to the world around us and start listening to God and turning to God. Because God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. Don't let your Christianity be... Don't let your Christianity be just about grinding out doctrine or or criticizing everyone who who disagrees with you. Don't allow your first love to grow cold. Don't lose your childlike wonder and awe of who God is. Don't let your relationship with God shrivel up and be more about duty than delight. You have the capacity for joy in your relationship with Christ that we barely understand, that we've barely tapped into. What enabled the apostles to sit in jail and sing? They had a joy that wasn't of this world, was it? They had a joy that was found only in Jesus. And so they experienced that joy no matter where they went, no matter what they did, whether they were on top of the mountain or in the valley or in a prison. We need to open our eyes to God's glory. We need to open our eyes to His beauty and to His overwhelming love. And we need to drink deeply of all that God is. You know, the creation around us is proclaiming that there is a God, isn't it? General revelation, that's what the Bible teaches. Do you stop and gaze? You stop as you're going for a walk or going out to your car to look at a little flower, a daisy, or stop to look up and see birds flying up in the sky or just listen to the birds singing or to see the flowers growing around your house and, and not just looking at them and say, wow, that's great, but allowing that to point your eyes upward to our God who is great and mighty And we're seeing a little reflection of his greatness. Some years ago, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to stay on this little island off of Puerto Puerto Rico called Vieques. We've actually been there a number of times. But on this one particular time, we decided to take the ferry. Otherwise, you've got to take this little, little tiny plane. 
the island is only three miles by seven miles. It's hardly anyone there. It's just, it's wonderful. Well, we, we got to the ferry, and because there were some issues, some problems, the ferry didn't end up leaving until late at night. And by the time we got on the ferry, we were exhausted. We were tired. It had been a long day. We had left early in the morning. And so we made our way to the top of the boat, and we, we sat down. We were, I don't think there was hardly anybody up there. And the boat started to go. It was an hour um, to get out to this island. And as we got out a little ways, the captain turned all his lights off. And so we were traveling through the ocean in darkness. At first, it was a little unsettling, but then as your eyes started to adjust, it was amazing. You could see the stars, you could see the galaxies, you could see satellites going by overhead. You could even start to see the Milky Way. You know, after you've been outside for a little while and your eyes adjust, you start to see more and more and more. That's what we were seeing. And when you turned around, you looked at the the wake of the boat, which was glowing because of the plankton or whatever that's in there that's being disturbed. And, and so you could see this green ribbon behind us and this beauty all around us. And it, it, it left us without words. It was just so beautiful. I know as I looked at those things and, and we just held hands, it just drew us into God's presence. And it made us yearn all the more for who God is. We saw a beauty that we know was a reflection of who our God is. We saw his reflection all around us in his creation. And we found ourselves whispering, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come. Even now when I think about that night, God's power and majesty, it takes on new meaning for me. As I glimpsed his glory that night, but it doesn't have to just be on a boat ride to some island way far away. It's something we can experience every day in our lives if we'll just slow down and look to the Lord. I thank the Holy Spirit for the way he's at work within us because he wants us to walk in joy, in the Lord's joy. He knows that that's the only way that we can truly be happy, truly be satisfied. And so he's constantly working at us, pushing us, so we'll look upward, so that we'll make Jesus our delight and not our duty. Because in Jesus, a breathtaking beauty really has come to the world. John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of his one and only son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The most beautiful thing in all the world was here with us. And the world took him and nailed him to a tree and crucified him. And now he's all the more beautiful, sitting on the right-hand side of God, glorious, majestic, victorious. We need to open our eyes and see his presence. You need to claim God's promises and delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord because when you do, he's given his word that he will give you and me the desires of our heart.
May our desire be for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Forgive us, Lord, when we look to the world around us, Lord, to make us happy, to fill a void in us that only you can fill. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you came to this world. Open our eyes, send your Holy Spirit so that we might be able to see your glory all around us. And as we look at your glory, may it draw us to you. We just pray that you will be the delight of our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand.